0: Hey guys, it's Sean, and I am here to tell you guys that we do not have a new episode of Real Blend happening this week. The guys are torn in a million different directions, and we have a whole bunch of... Hashtag if it happens interview opportunities coming up and so we're juggling schedules and trying to make sure that we get a ton of really great content to you guys but in lieu of a new episode as we mentioned last week we wanted you guys to watch Barb and star because we have the director of that new comedy Josh Greenbaum who came on the show and is going to uh, dive into spoilers if you haven't seen barb and star yet first off that means you didn't listen to us you didn't do your homework so go watch that right now then come back and listen to this episode because we dive into all of the irregularities that came with putting this movie together obviously obviously it's nothing like the trailer and the marketing and once we got to see it we knew immediately that we had to have josh on the real blend podcast and so uh we're thrilled to get him we think that if you guys saw the movie you're going to love this conversation and so without further ado the Real Blend interview with Josh Greenbaum, the director of Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. All right, so I will kick us off, um, but I want to begin with saying that knowing how much Kristen and Annie as comedians like to build off of each other and construct a joke and maybe maybe go in different directions uh, based on something that, that someone has said, how different is this movie from, say, like Table Read to Final Cut?
1: um it's a great question i mean here's something that might surprise you is most comedies i think are open you know you do a lot of improvisation and we certainly did that a lot but what's sort of unique is because chris and annie are both the writers and the performers they have worked out and we had together worked out the script in such a way that by the time we were shooting there was less improv than you might normally think on a normal film so that's not to say it didn't happen, it happened all the time. I mean, you can't stop Kristen and Annie from coming up with new jokes and improvising. And a scene is never really finished, you just run out of time and you move on to the next one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, when I came on board, the script was so funny and bananas and, and, and quite long. Um, and so, you know, it's always a bummer, but you're always cutting things out, mostly for time, not for, for jokes. Um, So it did change a lot from I would say sort of first table read to what we shot but on set it was less of that like hey here's my packet of alt jokes that we've come up with and constantly throwing out new stuff um, because I think they were so you know we all felt really great with where where we landed um, through the Mm -hmm. process.
2: You know, Josh, I, I found it super interesting uh, in this sense that so uh, the movie I'm about to bring up, I, I I don't think these films are the same. I think they're very, very different. Uh, I think you already probably know what I'm going to mention. But but when you when you have a comedy that has a sci fi element, and I, I mentioned Palm Springs because it also had a sci fi element to it. But it was a completely different movie. The difference between those two films, though, and the trailers were that Palm Springs trailer gave away the bit in the trailer. Your film does not. And so for me, when I sat down to watch your movie, I was genuinely blown away by the Way it went, so I wanted to ask uh, about that choice. Is that a choice made on your part? Is it a choice made on Kristen and Andy's part? Because I feel like it's it's, it's one of those moves where, like, yeah, you don't want, you want to get people to come watch your movie, but you don't want to tell them the bit. So, like, I'm wondering kind of where that where that balance is for you.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sorry, my emails if they're dinging. Um, that's, okay. a, that's a great question. Let me try and figure out. Didn't do that. Let me try option. There we go. Option done. Option. Nice. Did it. Okay. Sorry. I don't know if you're editing this, so I apologize. For yeah. that. I just realized We're keeping
0: I... that in. We're keeping <laughs> that, it in.
1: Okay, good. And that ding, if you guys want to know that ding was from Kristen. So it's okay. Her...
0: Can you read uh, what she wrote, please? You,
1: yes. I'll read it out loud. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a great question, Kevin. And it's something we discussed a lot, which is, you know, there's a lot of fun surprises in the movie. Um, And I think we were always conscious of like, how much do we tell you? Um, One of my favorite things as a moviegoer is going in blind. I love that feeling of like, I don't really know what this is about. I think it's why film festival experiences are so wonderful is because there's just no way to know anything about what you're about to watch. And so we obviously wanna try to protect that feeling and that experience for people. But also at the same time, we know we have to get people aware of the film and give them enough to feel like I want to go see that. So I think with every film in your marketing and your publicity, it's always a dance. Um, I hope we're doing the right dance at the moment because, um, I, you know, as you said, Kevin, the, the first five minutes of the film are really nothing like anything that we're marketing. And so I, I like that. But I hope, you know. Um, I hope that uh, it's not so jarring, you know, I, I, you know, and, and by the way, one of the things that's been, was great is when we first met with Lionsgate about making this movie, you know, it, we all know, like, yes, it's from the creators of Bridesmaids, the writers of Bridesmaids, but this is not Bridesmaids 2, mm. and we just want to make sure we all are on the same page, and Lionsgate from the very beginning was like, yeah, we understand that, of course, we're going to make people aware that this is from great comedic minds like Kristen and Annie, but it's not bridesmaids too uh, as as you guys have as have pointed out
0: <laughs> we talk yeah. often on the show about you know we just missed the days when you would go to a theater and see a trailer for a movie that you had no clue was coming you know yes. and you were just like what they made another one of those <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. so exciting <laughs> yeah. so this was a really great throwback to that, and, uh, and
2: Josh, we have literally been texting back and forth about this being one of the funniest films we've seen in a long time. Like I, I've already, I've watched this twice, and that, oh, and I man. just it's on a screener. I've watched it twice, and I'm like, this is, it's like my my new spirit animal. I that, I, I love this movie so much. But oh, Sean, go, go ahead. I love hearing that. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing.
1: Thank
2: it's you. Amazing. Yeah, I mean,
1: I had. It's funny because I'm the, the director of the film, but I have the same feeling because I like, when I first came on board, I, you know, the way this all came about is I, you know, I had, I had made a movie called Becoming Bond, uh, which is a documentary, but it has a kind of narrative element to it. And I didn't know it at the time that Kristen Wiig was in the audience of a screening I had of that film. Jessica Elbaum, the producer of Barb and Star, had brought her. The movie ends and Kristen walks up and says, oh, my God, I love this film. We need to work together. And I'm sort of, I'm such a huge fan of hers. I'm totally starstruck. And I'm also like, that must just be a Hollywood thing. Like you say like, hey, I want to work with you. And then that's it. Yeah. Anyway, a, a couple of days later, I'm sitting at lunch with her and she's pitching me what the movie you just guys, you, you, you just watched, but like the entire movie from the first scene to the last, she's playing all the characters. And I just remember this experience of, first of all, it was the greatest lunch I've ever had. But it's also like, if, the, if our film can deliver what she just pitched me, like what a great, uh, just- return to, like, comedy with a capital C. It's very... Ugh. It just felt so passionate and different than what's been made in the last couple decades or decade at least, you know, and and so...
2: I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. I've never seen anything like it. Now, well, no. that's, uh, that's what I will tell you right now. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah,
0: A touchstone I kept going back to in my mind is like a MacGruber. You know, like one of those movies where you just you quote, you'll, you will quote constantly, yeah. you know, for the yeah. for the absurdity of it all. Well, so. well,
1: one of the things, so Kristen, when we first met at that lunch, I, you know, I think at one point she, I asked her sort of what, you know, what touchstones are in her mind as they were writing it. And and it, to some extent, I love you know. I, it's like when you ask a band, like, "Hey, what genre are you?" In? And the band's always like, "I don't want to, like, I don't want to be pigeonholed into this one thing." Yeah, yeah. But she did say, um, "It's it's sort of Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion," which is is one thing. But then, she, and I love that film. And then she said, "Meets Airplane," and that's where I was like, "What is this? Like, what? I don't even know what that means." Where you cross over these films, but I think for those of you who have seen it, you know, when people see it, it, it makes more sense. You're like, "Yeah, there's." <laughs> There's like these absurdist elements that you just don't see coming. That you know zig and then zag and then. Yeah. But of, of course, at the at the center of it, and why, you know, part of what was the attraction, and, and why Romy and Michelle is a relevant reference, is there is a sweet friendship at the center of it, and, mm-hmm. and I think we all can I, I relate to that um, and, and and appreciate it.
0: So there's an element. um, It's weird to say this, but Florida is an actual character in your film. Um, And I'm from the southeast. I'm I'm in North Carolina right now. And, and, you know, we treat Florida like the butt of a joke, like we lampoon it often. Uh, And it's very easy to lampoon Florida. But I feel like you guys went out of your way to go after other things that are really funny about it can you talk about your approach to finding what's what's kind of funny about florida and how you utilized it
1: yeah i mean i think like and and Kristen can speak to it very specifically because like her you know her mom lives there now and sort of on the on the panhandle side and um which
0: is its own unique
1: animal
3: by the way it
1: (laughs) is i think there's this sort of element of i mean it's always true of any comedy where there's a degree of like yeah there's some poking fun but there's also sort of this celebrating right there's like there's a reason why you're attracted to tell certain stories because there's something about them that, you know, appeal to you. Like your reference of McGruber. like it's not just like, Oh, MacGru- MacGyver is so dumb. Let's make fun of it. It's like, I kind of love MacGyver and I watched it like crazy. So that's why I want to make this film. Yeah. Similarly, I think there's just something so kind of specific and unique about aspects of Florida that I know when Kristen and Annie were writing the script they were, they were drawn to, but just the idea also of it being like a middle-aged nirvana, I just loved. It's just, you know, specifically Vista Del Mar, because it's not Miami, clearly, yeah. um, but it's also not like, as Mickey Revelay, uh, Wendy McClellan coveys character says, it's not that sort of spring break, you know, she says where the, you know, the girls are out there with their Tatatas, I believe she said. Maybe that's an <laughs> outtakes. <laughs> the outtakes. I have a hard time remembering what, we, what we, what's still in there. Um, but no, it was it was absolutely you know. I think um, I think you said it well, Sean. It was always going to be a character of the film, and 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 it's in the title, you know. Vista yeah,
2: yeah.
3: This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force.
2: Josh, there's a shot in this film, so I've, I told you I've seen it twice, and I'm like blown away. It almost looks like you did a double dolly, um, where they they have the buried treasure, um, and I, I still want to get into Jamie Dornan at some point, because I think it's the best thing he's ever been involved in, because I think you, you finally tapped into something. He, he's, he's a brilliant comedian. He really yeah, is. He is. Um, but that particular sequence was incredible, and I wanted to ask about how you shot that. So for, set it up for our audience briefly. There's yeah. a moment uh, you've seen in the trailer where they, they exchange their room numbers, and there's like a whole bit about that. And then they drink something that, that sends them into a alcoholic, drug-induced daze, essentially. Um, and yeah. then they float back from the bar. Um, how did you achieve that shot? It's, it's an amazing shot.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's done practically. So I'm a big fan of doing everything as practically as if we can. Because it just, there's something about it. It's, there's a texture yeah. to it. You just know it. You know when something's really shot that way. And I think VFX have come so far. But there's still, there's always that feeling like, I don't, quite believe this i think they, they so what we did is we built um along with our incredible dp toby oliver who shot get out which i know is maybe not the most obvious choice for our film but i can get into why later and he was incredible wow. we built a um essentially like you said it, it's just a floating platform where we actually remade the bar there's a real bar in that hotel and then we remade it with the <laughs> same countertop and we sat the three actors on this platform but we also put the camera on the platform and then our like four strongest Dolly grips or you know, grips period, you know, on action, just pushed the whole rig and spun it and turned it. And we moved this whole rig with three actors, you know, two cameras on it through wow. this space and had to make sure it had all <laughs> our actors. And of course, Richard Cheese is in the background. So it, it came out a really fun effect. It's a little different than, you know, it's, I guess it's where you've seen it before. And I've always been a fan of it. Spike oh, Lee. It, Spike Lee is the Spike Lee shot, yeah. but he's always done it going – Backwards, yes, uh, you know, Denzel moving through the crowd and things like that. Yeah. Here, we sort of went the opposite direction, but absolutely inspired by Spike. And I don't know if Spike invented it, but he, he certainly deserves credit because that's how I know of it. So,
2: well, the beauty of a shot like that is, is similar to kind of what Hitchcock and Spielberg would do with like the, the dolly zoom. It, yeah. it, it, it's, it's such an immersive shot, like it, it, yeah. it is literally what the characters are feeling in that <laughs> moment. You actually feel like you've gone away with them yeah. in that. <laughs> Scene, I hear
0: so. that.
1: yeah i mean that's yeah. that's always the goal with <clears throat> with filmmaking is like how do we convey what's you know a what's on the page you know on, on the screen but also what are the how do we convey what the characters are feeling you know emotionally subjectively and how can i pull the audience in so that i'm I'm glad to hear that was that was effective perfect
0: <laughs> yeah. okay so <clears throat> you you spend the first half hour of this film literally saying out loud to yourself what the fuck is this movie <laughs> Um, in the nicest way possible. Yes. But the, but the moment. Like, awesome.
2: <laughs> the moment... Day, by the way, Sean, we often were like, what the fuck are we making? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, your opening scene, I was dying laughing for people. Yeah. I mean, the, the kid on the bike is one of the funniest things. I, I mean, I don't know what. Yeah. It's so good. But, but the scene
0: where I literally. I was I was laughing Man. so hard I lost Man. breath is jamie dornan's song um oh. with the seagull on a tire so if you could just talk to me about the songwriting process because you know you you drop musical numbers into this into this comedy it's hard yeah. enough to just be funny you know as being funny when you add a musical element it's even harder a, yeah. a, a film we reference on the show so many times is pop star You know where the songs are crucial to the narrative and your songs are crucial to your narrative like can you talk about the songwriting process
1: yeah absolutely i mean i'm glad to hear that that had the effect we were hoping that you you (laughs) fell out of your chair where we're laughing Um, by the way, one of my favorites, we had a couple, we were fortunate enough to get like one or two test screenings into the film before the pandemic hit. So I did get to see this movie with an audience. It was such a joy. In that moment, I remember I was sitting near a guy who sort of, when he walked in, because you, know, you just bring in general audiences and some people are there because they want to see it, some are because they're with a date. And I remember it was this like huge guy covered in tattoos, must have been 40 <laughs> pounds. And he was sort of sitting like this through the whole film for a while and he was smiling. And then the Jamie Dornan musical number hit, and he was doubled over laughing. I was like, "This, <laughs> this is great! Like we got that guy, that guy was not down for a minute, and he's fully in." Um, so I'm glad to hear that. But uh, so much credit, obviously, for the music itself is to Kristen and Annie. I mean, they wrote that music. Oh no! You know, kidding. When we first, by the way, when I first sent the script to Jamie Dornan, that the script literally has one line that says, "Then Edgar does an emotional dance." That's it. So when he signed on to the film, and he's, we can get into him in a minute, he's so talented and amazing, and he got the film. But that's all he knew. And then he showed up to set, and it was like, okay, so, Jamie, here's the two-and-a-half-minute song. You're climbing a, a palm tree like a cat. You know, you're <laughs> dancing like a ballerina and sing <laughs> yourself in the ground, etc. He was amazing it's so game. But all those lyrics, and, you know, so much credit, obviously, for Chris and Annie coming up with that and insane, saying insanely, Like, it all comes from... Their style of comedy works. It's like, what's, what are we trying to convey? And really, the truth is, it's a tortured character who's lovelorn. He's so emotional, but it comes out as he's singing to seagulls on a tire or seagulls eating trash. Um, he did, I mean, there is a double in there, and I hope you got that. I mean, there's—he's not. Oh, doing you the can full see ballad, the double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but, it, yeah. but but
2: but but yeah, it made it, it funnier. Ball. It made it funnier that you can see the double's yeah. face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: That's right. You're supposed to be very clear that it's not Jamie. <laughs>
2: In that moment, the rest of it is it
1: is
0: him. Uh, okay. Kev, go ahead.
2: Oh no, I was just gonna say. Um, the other day I was filling out my uh my awards ballot for like the Critics Choice Awards, and it was I got to the best original song category, and it just gave me so much pride to white to write the words "I love boobies" into my a professional <laughs> email that I was delivering to the Critics Choice. I mean that. The bar sequence, every time we go back to that character, I was crying, I was laughing so hard, just because of the, the way he delivers the lines, the way he's what he says. And I just wanted to ask about that song, filming that moment, were you dying behind the camera? Because it was just, it was so deadpan. The guy was so serious about it. It was perfectly toned. Yeah.
1: Yeah, his name is Richard Cheese. That's his stage name. I don't know if I can give away. His real name is Mark Davis, but you can just call him Richard Cheese. Um, he's incredible. <laughs> uh, the funny backstory of how we got involved him involved, he's always been written in the script. I mean, it said Richard Cheese. It didn't say like a funny lounge singer sings inappropriate songs. Um, Kristen, I believe was at like a dinner party years ago, a-, a couple years back when she was writing the script with Annie. And she brought up how like this really funny guy, Richard Cheese, uh, you know, would be amazing, and sure enough, like at the party, is somebody who knew him really well, and so we connected with him, and so we brought him down. And he, yeah, he just he's so funny in his deadpan delivery. He's got a great voice. He's very funny. He added some. He co-wrote uh, some of those songs with Kristen and Annie. And uh, like you, I wanted to keep coming back to him. I mean, I think we only come yes. back to him three times, but. I think we were trying at some point in the edit for like four or five. Um, so, uh, but I hope I hope it wins an Oscar. I mean, I know it's really real ridiculous, but. What's I, that? My friend's an Academy voter, and he forwarded me an email, and it was like for your consideration, really proper email from the Academy. And then it says really big, like "I love movies." You know, it's like, this
2: is my favorite part in that scene is when he goes, "I'm I'm gonna take a break." Oh, wait, I'm back. <laughs>
1: I'm out. I'll be right back. And yeah, I'm back. Yeah. Sure and yeah, I'm back. Yeah, he's amazing. All right. I mean, he had so, so many of those one liners. And, and if you haven't, like, do check out his music. He's fantastic. He's really talented. He has all these albums he's putting out. And uh, he's a really talented, funny guy. And we feel obviously very lucky to have him in the film.
0: All right. We're going to transition into some spoiler talk for the film now. Um, so if you are okay. listening to this and you haven't yet seen Barb and Star, please. Uh, remedy that immediately go see it. Skip to the next section of the uh, of the podcast, but here's where we're gonna get into some specifics. I'll ask a really quick one and then I want to get into my actual question. Um there's a moment where Gail gets locked out of the talking club and we never get to see Gail. I'm wondering talking is she clock. voiced by anyone famous?
1: It's a great question. Um we talked about voicing her by someone famous and or revealing her like at the end of the film like she finally like is or she's still outside uh she is not unfortunately i believe she is voiced well that's not true she is voiced by someone famous i believe she's voiced by annie mamalo or chris i can't remember it's one of them just changing changing their voice a little bit um saved us saved us a couple bucks right there
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) all right so my actual question is when i was tweeting the reaction to the movie um i compared it to mcgruber like i mentioned before but the other one that i mentioned that I was afraid to even include because I thought it was too revel- revelatory. Revelatory? Revelatory? Yeah. It was Austin Powers. Um, I've, I've not seen someone do a dual role, you know, <laughs> since uh, that that had the kind of ramifications like this where, where each of the people that they're playing is a full-on character. Um, so who came first in Kristen's process, do you know? Like, did she have this idea of this woman who had a vendetta against... Uh, Vista Del Mar or did she have this buddy comedy of Midwesterners have to get away?
1: Um, it's a good question. I think, for, by the way, in terms of the process of how this whole movie came about, I, I honestly think they had the title and then they wrote the movie because they liked the title <laughs> so much, which is really funny. It's like, I don't recommend that for most screenwriters, <laughs> but you, you know, if you could ask him, I think they've actually revealed that that's really, they love the title Barbara and Stargo to Vista Del Mar. Um no it's it's by the way i i love it and you your point is exactly right we haven't seen it and here's what's interesting for me i don't know that i've ever seen it from a female like it's it's sort of a no. tradition i remember you know peter sellers mm-hmm. did it in dr strange love and of course the wonderful mike myers did it and, and and others but i can't really point to you know a female comedian doing it where she's the hero and the villain in the same film and no one can do it as great as as the amazing Kristen Wiig. so I don't know. It's a good question. Who came first in terms of characters? I I think they were probably born at right around the same time. But Sharon Gordon Fisherman, one of my (laughs) favorite names of all time, Um, (laughs) is, uh, is
2: is quite the character. Back to Jamie Dornan. Obviously, one of the I was telling you this earlier was that I've I've had the chance to interview him for a bunch of films over the years, and he's always been super hilarious in interviews, like genuinely just incredibly funny. And so when I saw this film, I'm like. Oh, someone really now tapped into that talent that he has. I mean, I, th- I think he's a very good actor and I've, I've loved him in the work he's done, but I think this was really his, like, it just felt like he was right at home in this yeah. role. Uh, and I wanted to ask about what it was, like, th- what it was you saw in Dordan that made you understand he would be that funny.
1: It's, it's a great question. I had the exact same experience, by the way. So, I, I mean, we, Kristen, Annie, and I all always. Right away, thought, oh, he could be amazing. Like if he's capable of being funny, because in his work you haven't seen it yet, because he hasn't done those kind of roles, he'd be incredible. Um, and so I, I often when I'm casting, it's it's maybe a weird process, but I actually really like to watch interviews. I like to watch sort of the sort of what are they like naturally talking to you guys, going on talk shows. And I had the same reaction, which is he's always very funny in a very dry, wonderfully Irish mm. way, um, but he's got clearly a great sense of humor. So he, we sent him the script thinking like, is he going to respond to this? Who knows? And he loved it. And we set up a call, just the two of us. And he and I spoke for probably two hours and instantly I was like, Oh, this guy gets it. He's very funny. Um, (laughs) he understood the character. And you know, the thing he does, which is, you know, any good dramatic actor should do if they're doing a comedy is he just fully commits. Mm. You don't try to be funny. You don't try to push the joke. Your character is not aware that anything's funny. Um, And so he, you know, you see it time and time again, but when he's doing that emotional dance, he's fully committed. It's, it's not silly, it's emotional. It's, he's feeling how he's lovelorn, And by playing it so straight, then it becomes so funny. You know, I've sort of long had, had this belief that really good comedic actors, really talented, but almost always are great at drama. You know, and mm. you've seen it with guys like Steve Carell or uh, um, Jim Carrey, because to be really funny, generally speaking, you're playing the drama of the scene, but you just know how to make it a little bit funnier, and I think that's a that's a tough thing to do. And so, you know, as soon as Jamie stepped on set, I know Kristen, Annie, and I were all like, "Oh, he's he's got it. He gets it." <laughs> and I'm by the way, to your to your point, Kevin, his wife at one point came up to me while we were on set or having dinner at some point. She said, "This is this is Jamie.
2: <laughs> like, yeah. what
1: you guys are doing are like all his friends know this part of Jamie." You know, it just so happens the first big role he got, he was a serial killer, and then it you know, went from there. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm so excited for the world to discover this, this side of him because he is such a talent.
0: Um, the scene that makes me laugh so hard is when they've untied themselves, but they have to keep making themselves look like they're t- I love see monologues. And
1: he's telling this incredible monologue about his yeah. backstory, and he's just not seeing it because he's so in the moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna. So this is my last question, and then Kevin has one more, and then we'll we'll wrap up um, here. Mine is a very technical question. It's probably very weird. Your um, Kristen Wiggs villain character is pale, ghostly white, like a Tim Burton esque. You yeah. know, has never seen the shadows. You have to do it, a very pivotal scene late in the film where she's immersed in water how on earth did you do that
1: (laughs) good question by the way very very (laughs) astute technically um first of all it's one of the obvious challenges as you brought up is her skin Hmm. and so we are out and again i shot all that stuff practically and i don't even just mean practically like we're in the water we're in the ocean um, when you have actors like Kristen and Annie who are down to do their stunts, I mean, what, the cool scene, we rigged them up and we brought them a hundred feet up in the air and then they, you know, floated down. Mm-hmm. They were on their jet skis, they were in the ocean. Um, so for, for the villain's character and her skin, it was very difficult. We did have to do some touch-up work afterwards in post to help with the makeup. But as you also might imagine, there's a lot of scenes like that one in the water where both Chris stars in the scene opposite Sharon Gordon Fisherman, mm. our villain, um, and so it sounds so crazy to keep saying her name. You have, to say, you have to say all three names. Um, so we obviously had a double, and you know, and Kristen would. But on those days, it was incredible to watch Kristen because you have to shoot those at the same day and ideally the same lighting and timing. Because if you wait too long, and now the lighting's different, now it's very hard to match shots. So she would just, you know, take get out of star go become Sharon Gordon Fisherman and pop in the water. And then in her entire performance changed. I mean, one, one of the greatest compliments, I think, to her is when we did early test screenings, There was so many people that were like, who is that villain? She's so good. I can't put my finger on who the actress is. And that's, I think, such a compliment to her. Just that's incredible. Just role. <laughs> my other fun short story about that is we had a guy even working on the film, doing some color work early on in the process. He worked on the film for three days every day I check in on him. He said, Don't tell me I I I haven't figured it out yet. I gotta go to IMDB. I want to figure out who it is. He worked on it for three days and didn't figure out that it was <laughs> wow. oh my her. For- you no, know, we do a couple tricks. We add a little tooth gap like I have here. Um, you know, a little prosthetic on the nose and and obviously uh, she's actually wearing some interesting contact lenses. Right. But the rest of it is just her performance and how she what? completely goes from one character to the other.
0: Um, is it Rain Wilson in the beginning of the film or no?
1: no uh okay wait, i'm sorry with um
0: the okay. the, the the scientist, or doctor, the scientist, scientist no. who gets killed by mosquitoes i no, thought that was rain he, wilson
1: no the act the actor is um oh man now i'm embarrassed it's patrick and i'm blanking his last name oh, that's man, okay
0: so i swore to my wife it was rain wilson and she was like i don't think it is i'm like no i'm pretty sure no
1: it's not rain <laughs> who's an incredible talent um i wish i could tell you patrick's last name because now i'm very embarrassed because he's a phenta- phenomenal actor And it will come to me or maybe, Amy, if you have it, you can help me out. But I apologize. We're going to get that before we end this interview so I can
2: shout out. Sounds good. Kevin, you're you're closing us off. Josh, I think one of the most uh, the most brilliant things that you do in this movie is that we sit in the awkwardness. And I think that's kind of what makes it. And the, and the, the scenes that I that you kept cutting back to with Vanessa Bayer. Uh, at the roundabout like book club. I mean, it is, club. Yeah, it is genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Just her sitting there awkwardly smiling and then you just cut to whatever scene you're going to. And I wanted to ask you about that as a director, like sitting in awkward moments, like 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 making it almost uncomfortable for the audience in the best way possible, if you know what I'm saying, like where it's like, yeah. it, it's it, it's such an interesting push-pull. Like it's never, it's always funny, but you're always like, Ugh, and then like, yeah. and then you cut. So I want to ask about the the timing and the pacing of moments like that because Vanessa sells it so perfectly. But you're also it's also done in the editing and the design and what comes before it. So I'm just yeah. interested to know yeah, about absolutely.
1: that. Absolutely. No, I well, I think first of all, like just in general, awkward is always a big tool of comedy, right? And mm. and the reason being, I think, is we all we all experience awkward moments throughout our day to day lives, and when we see it on screen. That like tension of like, Oh God, I know that feeling. It's a release. It's funny. It's like, Oh my (laughs) God. Yes. I've been in these, these scenarios. I mean, specifically to the one you're referencing. I mean, at, at a minimum part of what it works is the, the sort of you're, you're coming out of a crazy loud sequence where the ladies are like
3: <laughs> rocketing
1: through the ocean on a jet ski and they're praying to God to open the gates of heaven to let them in because they think they're about to die. <laughs> lining toward a giant cloud of killer mosquitoes. Um, and then to cut to the silence of what Talking Club is, there's something, I mean, there's, to be honest, it's as like basic as like why babies, you know, sort of laugh at, you know, at that. There's like something very primal about going from very chaotic, silence and everyone's just sitting around having their tea and obviously you find the right length of how long do you sit in that because there's there's different schools of thought there's like all right well this was long enough we got the laugh move on there's other films and moments where you go oh no let's just keep going and making it more uncomfortable and so you find the right balance and you don't want to completely halt progress of the story you're telling but if it you know if you want to just keep going and keep going until really everyone in that theater is laughing like that's the trick so it's it's always a it's a dance with how long, but you know obviously the other reason why that scene exists though is like it's it's showing you how far they've come right like yes they are they're now these on this adventure where they're like gonna maybe die and they're on a jet ski, and where were they? Oh, they were in this insanely boring talking club. Where people talked about you know hot dog soup and you know socks or you know whatever it is that the the topic of the, of the week is, um, so there's there's multiple reasons why it's in
0: there. But yeah, that group oh of my god when their lives people. flash before their eyes and you see the, the feet with individual finger socks. <laughs> Dude, is so great! I haven't
2: laughed this hard in so long. I, I just want to say so thank you that. for this movie. We like, we like. I needed this film genuinely, and I mean that by. I mean my, my wife and I were dying laughing. So thank oh, you for this. Yeah.
1: So happy to hear that. I I hope it's the right. You know, as a director, I was so excited for this film to be out in theaters all across the country on the big screen. But I'm honestly so thrilled to like give everyone this vacation because it's like, we're desperately in need of it uh, right now, I think as a, as a culture. And so I'm so happy to hear that. And I hope, I hope others have the same experience. And legit, do a
2: series, do a series. Like I would, I would, I would watch multiple seasons with these okay, two characters. I, li- I, I like
1: that. By the way, we always joked around. We're like, what would be the sequel if we did a film sequel? Although a series is a great idea, but we often were like, what about Barb and Star go very far to Mars? And it was like. We have- <laughs> It's like somehow they make it out yes. for space and they're in Mars, but whatever it is, it has to rhyme. I mean, that's clearly rule number one of what the title is.
0: <laughs> well, clearly there's no pitch that's too far out. Like <laughs> <No>. <laughs> based on what we just no. watched. Oh, that, actress, that actor's name, by the way, is Patrick Bristow. Bristow. Uh, oh, yes. Patrick, Patrick Bristow, Bristow,
1: I love you. You're so talented. I'm sorry that I didn't come up with your name at the top of my head, but thank you for pulling that up, Sean.
0: You're very welcome. All right. Thank you so much, Josh, for joining us. We will tell everybody uh, in our circle yeah. to go see this film uh, and and enjoy it many times. We really appreciate your time. And this was a really fun talk.
1: Thank, yeah. Thank you guys for having me. This was a blast. And, and Congrats to you,
0: man. Yeah, man. All congratulations. Right. It's so funny. Thank you guys. Naturally, we want to thank Lionsgate for giving us time with Josh. You guys have to go check out Barb and Star. Uh, if you've made it this far and you haven't seen it yet, hopefully our conversation teased you enough to go get it. Uh, sorry about no episode this week. Real Blend Premium subscribers, you will get an episode on Monday, February 22nd. Uh, so look out for that new episode when it drops. If you are not subscribed to the Real Blend Premium channel, make sure you hit bit.ly backslash real blend premium for additional content from myself and the guys and we will be back next week with all new content
2: what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving